We just thank you, God. And I just want to just go right into my sermon today. And I uh, haven't felt released from the Holy Spirit to leave what I've been preaching on. I feel like the Holy Spirit's got some more to say here. And I've been taking, we've just been springboarding from this verse, and then he's been taking us in different directions. But I want to read this verse again. I want to read this little chunk, actually, uh, in context. It's in John chapter 4, and Jesus is with the woman at the well. And it says in John chapter 4, verse 7, Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. In verse 20, it says that she says to him, Tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship? While we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshipped. And Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman. And remember, he loves this woman just as he loves us. He just spoke to her, he just gave her life. He told her that he's asking her to draw some water out of the well. But if you knew who I was, if you realized that it's Jesus sitting here that you'd ask of me and I'd give you water, you'd never be thirsty again. There's a fountain inside of me that I want to give you. And he loves her and he's speaking to her. He's speaking to us the same way. He said, the time is coming when it will no longer, I love how the NLT says this, because it says it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers, and that's what God is looking for, true worshipers. He's looking for those who will worship him. We've been looking at all the different layers of this. I don't want to re-preach those sermons, but I encourage you to go back and listen to part one, two, and three, and just looking at how Abraham was the first one that we read that worshiped God with a sacrifice, laying down what mattered most. His, his heart before God is what God was looking for. It's what he's always been looking for. And Jesus says that he's looking for true worshipers who will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And it says the Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. Verse 24, for God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship. Everybody say must. There is no other way to worship him. You must worship him in spirit and in truth. Everybody say, in spirit. In spirit. And what this picture is, in spirit, and I just want to speak for a moment, and I'll be in and out of these notes, but just a summation, too, of what the Lord's been saying these past weeks. There is a place in God. Everybody say, there's a place in God. And he has invited you in. He's invited you in. And simultaneously, and hopefully I can preach this, I have the picture. Sometimes I get the picture and it's hard to get it into words. But simultaneously, there is a place in you that God wants to dwell in. And this can only happen in God. And the Bible says in Ephesians 5, and I've been referencing that throughout these weeks, I've been referencing some of the same veins each week and a little piece of each of them. But in Ephesians 5, it talks about the picture, as I said last week, the intimacy of a husband and wife, how it's a mystery. 
and yet it's a picture of Christ and his church. We're his church, right? We're his church. So us and Christ is the husband and the wife. The two flesh, the Bible says, have become one. The two flesh have become one. It is Christ in us and us in Christ. That is the picture that God has given us for our lives with him and in him. Everybody say, in him. It's in him. We must live in him. See, everybody as a Christian is aware of the theology of Christ in you, right? Is anybody unaware of that? We are generically, whatever the prayer is, and I'm not opposed to the prayer, but we are generically um, aware of some sort of a prayer that said, Jesus, come in. Anybody prayed that prayer when you got saved? Now, I'm not opposed to that prayer, neither is the Bible. But there's picture of what Jesus truly wants from you and in you is so much bigger than that. See, if we invite Jesus into our lives, if I invited Dawn into my life, I'm basically saying, you can come be a part of my life, mine right? Come be a part of my life. I'm still going to live my life and I'm going to make you a part of it. Who's made Jesus a part of your life? <laughs> You're afraid to hold up your hands now, <laughs> most of you. Do you know where I'm headed? But because it is such a small part, it is absolutely 100% true. For those who raised your hand, you were right. <laughs> that is the truth. But it's so much more than that that Jesus is looking for. They say today that you only use, it's getting smaller and smaller, but less than 10% of your brain. 10%. I don't know how they know that anyway, not how they know all these things. But they say that your brain is got 90% more potential than you ever use. And I just believe as I was praying in, in the spirit right before we began the service, right here in worship, that the Holy Spirit just said, most Christians are only using 10% of their spiritual brain, of their spiritual potential. 10%. I believe that that was directly right from the Holy Spirit. I didn't go searching for that. I'm just praying and worshiping him, and it goes right along with what he's about to say. He wants so much more of us. Don't get offended at that. As a husband and wife, and I've been referencing that because we're talking about the intimacy. We're talking about the oneness of God being in spirit, being in Christ. Jesus didn't do anything outside of the spirit. The spirit hovered above the waters in creation, then went, breathed into Adam. Then Adam sinned, then Jesus comes, make it, makes it right. The Holy Spirit comes into him. Then Jesus breathes upon the disciples, goes into them, and then they've breathed upon us. That's a fast-forwarded version. A little more going on in there, but you get the point. The Holy Spirit has come again to be one with you, a oneness. Jesus didn't do anything without him, and we cannot do anything without the Spirit either. If Jesus loves you, which he does with everything he is, and he can't love you more. I'm going to keep saying that. If Jesus could love you more, he would have. If Jesus could have done more for you, he would have. 
Jesus gave every single ounce of himself for you. His love is complete. It's full. Came in full. Didn't come in part. He doesn't love you in part. Whether it's a friend or whether it's a spouse, as I've been saying these this past weeks, it doesn't require the other one for love to exist. Love is only required of one person because love is directional. We can say you're in love. That's something different. But in, for me to love, if I love, doesn't require love back. I love because that's from me. Jesus loves you. It doesn't require anything of you. And when we accept Jesus into our lives, his love comes complete and full. And it doesn't mean that you are unsaved. I'm not even going to touch that. That is between you and the Lord. doesn't mean that there's not an inheritance for you in heaven. I have no idea how those specifics work. And at the moment of your soul and his soul and the oneness, I'm not even going to go there. I believe in that. I believe in accepting him into our lives. But then the word tells us a much bigger picture, though, that the relationship begins when then we get into him. Relationship happens when I respond. I can accept his proposal. Hey, I've given my life for you. I got on the cross for you. My love is for you. It's for you. Do you want it? And I say yes. I can accept that, but at that point, what's happened is, is Jesus has done something for me and I've taken it. There's nothing wrong with that. That's what he wanted to do and he didn't ask you to show him some works, prove yourself first, <laughs> thank God, because we never could. He didn't say you need to earn it. But then the relationship is me responding, you responding to what he has done for you, you now do for him. Relationship is not one-sided. Everybody, anybody had a one-sided relationship? We all have. One-sided relationship is, that's, it's a funny term, but it obviously does not exist. It's not real, because relationship requires relationship. It's a one-sided love, a one-sided friendship. Relationship is the two. It's I give you, you give me. In fact, what the Bible says, and I'm just going to keep using the husband and wife because God gave us this picture here in the Word, and it can be for friendship too. The greatest friends, as I said last week as well, they'll put everything aside. In fact, the real friend is when it's inconvenient for them, when it actually inconveniences them to an extreme, and they still do it anyway. That's the greatest. Those are your greatest friends. Everybody else was acquaintances. When it was convenient for them, that's an acquaintance. When they will lay it all down to help you because you need it, that's the friend, all right? Well, that's what Jesus did for us. It was not convenient for him to go to the cross. He didn't need to. He didn't become Jesus. He didn't become the Christ after the cross. Do you realize that? It says that everything was made through him in John 1. Everything was made through him. That means before time began, he was Jesus, but he entered humanity for us. It was inconvenient for him. And he did it willingly and with love and would do it if it required of him to do it again. If he had to do it for every single person on earth, 
Jesus would do that because of his love for you. But there is so much more that he is offering us. He says, I will love you unconditionally, but if you, if you will give yourself to me the way I've given myself to you, there is a place, there is a place that you don't understand in the natural there is a place. If we, I don't know why it's even happening, but there's a lot floating around in Christianity today about bringing heaven down to earth. I don't, I'm not opposed to the idea as long as it's in the right fashion. We want to bring heaven down. We want to bring heavenly things, a heavenly concept down, but we really can't bring heaven down to earth. What we need to do is get into Christ, and that's where heaven is. Do you understand? That's what I've been preaching on and really getting us to get this. In fact, you'll live differently. If you will understand that heaven is us in Christ and Christ in us, and that happened the moment that you joined together and not at the death of your body. That's what the Word says, Colossians 3, Ephesians 2 that something happened, a death occurred to your body already. Not the physical, but the flesh part of you. Your will, your, your needs, your wants, the you in you died. It laid down. And yet, well, then we take it back again and again and again and again and again. And I think part of it, and why I've been preaching this, is because we have this concept that Jesus is in a building. That to go find God, you need to go to a building. Now, this is amazing. Being here today, this is scriptural. This is word. God is here in this building. He is. Because it's the Bible says it's the assembling together of the believers. It's the unity of the believers. This is scriptural. We need to be here. But can you imagine having a relationship, a relationship, not, a, not just somebody that you know that you saw once a week, or every three weeks. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> or at Easter. I love you. I'll see you at Easter next year. <laughs> We're going to have a special time next Easter. But, you know, don't, put, don't take too much of my time. I got ham dinner to have after. Don't push me too hard. I mean, come on. Jesus said, there is a relationship, there is a worship that I'm looking for. Come on, guys. There is a lifestyle that I'm looking for in people, and it's not going to church. It's being the church. And that's not just you doing good works out there. You cannot do good works and please God. Do you understand that? Jesus didn't do good works to please God. Jesus just did. He just was. He pleased God because of who he was in his father. You just do it because it's who you are. It's not works. That's why, you know, the Bible, every, the more I read the word, the more I come to this, every single point in his word is a fine line. If you have the right heart, 
you're not going to miss the word. You're not going to miss God. But you can take every single facet of his word and cross a fine line. You can go and do works and be doing what is described in Matthew 25 as the outworkings of what looked like a Christian and then we're knocking on the door because it's eternity and he says, I don't know you. How is that possible? And that's something that we should read all the time as Christians, that there is a Christian that doesn't know him but thought they knew him because they thought the doing was knowing him. They thought the going to church was knowing him. Do you know that even praying and reading his word, and I've been saying this because, I, man, I just, the Holy Spirit really, really wants us to get this. I just feel it in my bones. I feel like it says in the word, he's got fire shut up in his bones. I got to get this out. It says, and I, and I didn't plan on going here, so just bear with me, but it's right in James chapter four. In the book of James chapter four. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. I wanted to look at some other verses a little bit ahead of this, but this is the Holy Spirit. He says, what is causing, verse 1, the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill to get it, and you are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. So he talks about this war going on in humanity right? And even in Christians, this war of, for it's this self, it's me. It's not Jesus. His, the cross does not change. The cross is done. No matter what you do, you cannot change the cross. It's finished. And it is 100% done for you. And yet, for us to get it, we all had to receive it. Who here had to receive the cross? Was anybody forced? Did anybody twist your arm to get saved? Every single one of us willingly gave. We said, okay, Lord. And the Lord was so pleased at that moment and is still pleased. And, and it is not a salvation issue. It's just that I want more of you. If all I ever did was give Dawn a ring, she'd be thrilled at that moment. But if that was it for the rest of our lives... That would be so little in comparison to the relationship that God had designed for us. Does this make any sense? Jesus on the cross was the ring. It's done. Here, here it is. It's yours. Now, whether we encounter anything else after that doesn't change the fact of what he did. Does this make sense? He did it. It's done. It's finished. And yet, there's this part of us, and I've been preaching about it in Galatians. You can look at it. We can't live by the flesh. In Romans 8, can't live by the flesh because it will kill you. But we live by the Spirit. We're in the Spirit. He says, you don't ask God. But then he says, verse 3, and I love how it's the NLT says this. Even when you ask, everybody say, even when I ask God, I don't get it. It says, because your motives are all wrong, you want only what will give yourself pleasure. You can actually pray and ask God 
There is a prayer of asking God that with the wrong motive doesn't bring anything. We can be praying. We could be thinking we're spending time with God. But if it is self, this is the picture. Do you know what the word says of the husband and wife? It says that my body is hers. It's no longer mine anymore. I gave myself to her and she gave herself to me. And it says that that mystery is a picture of the cross. Jesus gave himself fully for us. And if we will give ourselves in the same capacity in a human form, right? He understands us, that we are weaker. But if we will give ourselves, and this is no offense to women, but this is what the word says, that the woman is the weaker vessel. It's just a picture. No offense. Plenty of women that are stronger than men emotionally and physically. That's not the point. Point is that there is the man and the weakness of the female. That's us. Come on, look. Just look at the picture of the word. That's why I like quoting the word, not me, so you don't get offended. But she gives herself to him, and the two become one. We cannot become one. We cannot get into that place in the spirit just because he gave us opportunity. The opportunity is always there. His spirit. You know, when the Bible says he'll never leave you, that would be like me walking alongside of her every single day. Hey, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? How you doing? And if that's me never leaving her. Come on, we get this picture. God never leaves us. Who has felt God say to you, hey, how you doing? And then you turned. Come on, you know it. You had other things to do. Not right now, Lord. Not right now. I'm busy. I'm too tired. We've all done it. He never leaves you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. But we have all said to him, not right now. I've done it myself. Just this week, Lord woke me up, went back to sleep. Now, does God change? <laughs> God's character didn't change. His love towards me didn't change. His relationship towards me did not change. I missed out on the moment that he was making for me. I missed out. He missed out too because he wanted that time. That breaks his heart as well. But he doesn't change who he is, doesn't change his greatness, doesn't change his love. But it says that when we live like this, when we think like this, it says, verse four, you adulterers, Remember, he's talking to the church here. Uh, this is James 4, okay? This is the book of James, talking to the church, not talking to the world. And he says, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. What is Jesus talking about here when he inspired these words to be written? He said, you know what you love by what you put your time into. <laughs> he said, you know what you love by what you talk about. You know what you love by what you spend your time doing, right? And your time around and, and, and what you will push aside for. 
Will you inconveniently push everything aside for Jesus? Because the Bible says that he wants us to be the greatest friend. The picture is the greatest friend that you ever had. Oh, what a friend I found in Jesus, right? But he says that we are adulterers when we have friendship with the world. And what does that mean? That means for our own pleasures, for what we want. We will push everything else aside. Everybody and everything is going to be pushed aside for what I need and what I want. But as soon as he asks of us, like that friend, right? Well, let's look at the picture. Just like a human friend, that it's inconvenient. I mean, don't think that your heart is cold just because you say to God, God, I'm so tired. Jesus is not offended at that. He's not. Lord, I don't feel like seeking you right now. He's not offended at that either. You know what he's offended at is when you say it and then you act on that too. Because the greatest friend is going to say that. You know what? It's not a good time. It's not going to work. And the friend's not offended at that. The friend sees you show up anyway. Jesus is looking for us to spend that intimate time with him. In fact, I didn't know if I would share this or not, but I'm going to share it uh, two weeks ago on a Saturday night. So I'd be praying and preparing for Sunday morning. The Holy Spirit came to me in my dream and he showed me praying. I was on my face seeking him. And the Holy Spirit came and he spoke to me in this dream and he said, I don't want you to preach sermons. I want you to be intimate with me. And I woke up. <laughs> now I'm still here, right here. This is not what he meant. And I've, asked, I've said that to the Lord so many times. I could go through your word like it's a history book or a research report. Anybody good at doing research reports? I could go through his word. I could take any book and I could put the dots together, paint a picture of what happened in that time in history. I think we could all do that with enough time. Don't, it's not about charisma. It's not about how good you sound or how well you do it. I'm just saying all of us could sit down and we could paint a picture of a, per, a person or a time with some research. The Lord's not looking for us to search his word. Because remember, I mentioned it. He said that the scribes and the Pharisees, he said to them, you search the scriptures looking for eternal life. And he's standing right there in front of them. Now, did he say, don't read the scriptures? Absolutely not. He said, it all points to me. All of that, I'm a fulfillment of all of that. And in fact, he cared about the scriptures so much that he told the disciples It'll be fully complete when the Holy Spirit comes and reminds you of all we said so you can pen it down. So obviously the Lord is a God of his word and of scripture. He's not saying that the scriptures weren't life, but the life without the spirit, the life without Jesus, the just words on a page without a relationship with Jesus, without an encounter with Jesus is nothing. It's nothing. There was a guy, he, he has just passed along uh, last year, the year before, his name was Howard Pittman, and he came and visited this church, and he has an incredible testimony because he was a sheriff until uh, he was like 65, and also simultaneously, like myself, working full-time, and he was a preacher for like 35, 30-something 30 plus years, and he died, and he had an encounter with the Lord, and he actually came back to life. They resuscitated him, 
uh, hours later, uh, he went into a coma, died, then went into a coma, and in that comatose death state, he had this incredible vision. He wrote many, many books. But the Lord told him that everything he had done, he felt this, this fear, this sense of like hell. <laughs> this is intense stuff. But the Lord told him, he's like, Lord, I did, I did all these things. We had children's ministries. We sent stuff around the world. We did this, we did that. And he said, the Lord said, you did all that for you. You did all those things. Those were good things, but you were doing that so that you look good. Now, every person's heart, that might not be your heart. But on the outside, this guy was a preacher. He'd given 30 years of his life, and the Lord wasn't pleased with any of it. I wouldn't be a good preacher if I didn't speak the truth. I would just be what the Bible says, pleasing to your ears. And 2 Timothy talks about that, that people would go, they're going to go and look. It's already happening. People are going to go around and they're going to find preachers that tell them what they want to hear. And the thing is that there's so many pictures and, you know, blood on your hands and, and there's multiple pictures that God gives us and, and to people like us. And it's you too out there in your world. You're all, all preachers, not just me, just because I'm standing in front of this thing. We're all preachers and we're all giving a message. What message are you giving? But you're responsible for your message. And the Bible warns us not to be pleasers of men, but pleasers of God. I wouldn't be a good preacher, righteous and right before God, if I didn't tell you this side of the truth. I told you firmly about his love and his grace and his mercy. I started that way on purpose because that never, ever changes. That's the truth. That's the heart of the gospel. But without our response, it's nothing. It doesn't mean anything for you. There are people that we're still praying for, and I believe that we're going to see them saved. Come on, all we have family and friends that we are going to see come into the kingdom. But the same Jesus died for them, and they haven't responded. So the proof is that it's not just what Jesus did, it's our response. It was our response that took his cross and brought it into our hearts. Now, what Jesus is asking us to do is to get into his heart. He has done his part. He's done everything. He's done everything for you. And now he's asking of us to leave the world, to leave it and to come to him. He says in verse five, James four, do you think the scriptures have no meaning? It says that the spirit he has placed within us, it says, the NLT says faithful to him, or in the New King James, it says that the spirit who dwells in us, it yearns jealously. The spirit that God has placed in you, he is yearning jealously for you to also be in him. He's in you, and that was instant, instant. You didn't have to get cleaned up for him to come into you. But then he starts cleaning you up automatically and asks you if you're willing to come into him, to have a relationship with him. Is this making any sense today? He said, and he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Verse seven, so humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So this is, this is amazing. 
we humble ourselves before God, it doesn't say that God will resist the devil for you. You humble yourself before God, though, and you are resisting the devil. It's the, actu- it's the opposite. We don't have a lot of, of information about the devil, but what we do know is that his nature is pride. Pride is just that I know best. I know better than you. I'm God. I, what's the difference between you and I? I, we can, I can be God. That's what we know of him. This is the opposite of that. If we humble ourselves, what is humbling yourself before God? It's not just repentant. It's not just, Lord, I'm sorry, as it says in verse 9 here, sorrow and sadness and tears. It says, and humble yourselves before the Lord, and he'll lift you up, verse 10. It's not just that. It is this place in God where I say, not me, but you. Like when I, re- when I say, take my life, I mean, the real sinner's prayer should be, Lord, take my life not just come into my life. When I pray with people, I say, Lord, take my life. Because that's really what the picture, if you really study the scriptures, it's not just come into my life, take my life. I give myself fully to you. That is the humility. That's the humbling that he's looking for. Because every time that we take it back and try to live it again, Jesus won't, he's not gonna leave your side but you are living in a way that God says is actually create, it's, it's, you're not an enemy of him instantly, but you're heading in the direction where you're pushing God away and you're becoming his enemy. That's not what he's looking for, is it? Because in verse eight here in James four, it says, come close to God and God will come close to you. Or you may know it as draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It's this constant drawing Who feels the drawing of Jesus in your heart? Not just today, but especially right now. The Lord is drawing, isn't he, at your heart? And he has given that. See, this is the the thing. This is this amazing thing with God. He started. He draws. So then I come in. And we can see that. I I don't have time, but you can go through the word, and you can see the picture over and over again where God offers himself. Some people deny him. Some people don't want him. And those that receive him, then they give. The first thing they do is they give of themselves. He created the drawing and we answer. Then I give to him. Then he gives you more. Then I give him more. Then he gives me more. Then I give him more. And he gives me more. Then I give him everything. And he gives me everything. What an amazing picture between us and God. And that's why this picture here is like, you don't have what you're asking God for. Your motives are wrong because the thing is, when Jesus told them, you can ask for anything and I'll do it. The reason we don't see it happen is because we're asking for so much other stuff. Wow, it got real quiet. I don't know that you believe me. We have so many other things you know, he says not even to ask him for the base needs of food and clothing. Don't he, we don't need to ask him. He said that the bird doesn't ask God. The flowers, they don't toil, they don't spin. <laughs> they just exist in him. 
Jesus didn't ask God to be fed. He just was. You're saying, wow, that sounds way too easy. You don't understand my situation, though. What we need to become is more and more abandoned to God. The more we become abandoned to him, the more we humble ourselves, the more we get in him. See, so many of us, Christ has come into you and there's such a dryness because we have never actually come into him. I, I, I don't know how to else to preach it. <laughs> I'm trying. But the Lord is looking for that place of intimacy, that place of communion. And I talked about how Psalm 91 even is a picture of that in that secret place. Uh, friends with God, how Enoch walked with God, Abraham walked with God. They created a friendship and every single one of them gave every single thing. And even the ones that messed up, you know people in the Bible messed up, right? <laughs> David messed up. He messed up actually way bigger than we would ever give him grace. If David lived today, he'd be in prison for life. And we would say, serves you right as Christians. We'd be like, oh, remember Pastor David? Remember what he did? The guy had 20 people killed to try to cover his affair. 20 people died covering his affair, not just the guy that he was trying to kill. 20 men died that day. What about the other 19 lives, not just the husband that he tried to kill? He'd be in prison, <laughs> and we would say, serves you right. We'd be out front of the, of the, of the uh, prison with the pickets saying, repent. See? And yet, what does the Bible tell us? That he humbled himself before the Lord. He mourned before the Lord. And you know, God cannot stop talking about David. Even I just read it today about the spirit of God that we must get in Isaiah chapter 11. And he says, a branch from Jesse talking about through his servant, David. God just can't stop talking about David. And what was this point? The point is, it's not you. It's not what you've done. It's not, how do I get these words out? It is this place of abandonment of yourself, of you. We think that's crazy. How is that even possible? How is it that God would let him off the hook? Because that's what we think human. It's because he was in such a place of abandonment with God, such a place he humbled himself that this intimacy with God that only God can do, because we can't, he tells us to do it, and it's hard for us, and, and many of us have had to, uh, have had to get to that place in God with humans, but only God can fully do it. And yet it says that he was pleasing to God. His heart was after God's heart. I just wanted to look at his words here and I'll close with this. He said in Psalms 27, this is David's words, in him. He said in Psalm 27, verse 4, he said the one thing, everybody say the one thing. This thing, this is what matters most. One thing I have desired of the Lord, 
the thing I seek the most, that will I seek. It says, to live or to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Remember, Jesus finished the actual physical temple. He finished, he fulfilled, he completed what it was, brought the continual sacrifice to be pleasing to God so that man could be okay in God's eyes. And Jesus finished that picture, finished that on the cross, the veil tore, and this temple, it says, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections, or to behold the beauty of the Lord. Let's just read this here in the New King James. It says, and to inquire in his temple. It says in verse 5, for in him. Everybody say, in him. In him. See, Acts, and you don't have to turn there on the screen, but it says in Acts 17, 28, in him we live and move and have our being. It is all in him. He said, back in Psalms, he said, in him, in him, in him. This is such an amazing picture. He said, he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, will I seek. The Lord has put out this call to every single person on earth, and it is for us to respond. He's still saying it. He says this to all of us, all the time. Seek my face. Seek my face. Seek my face. If you will seek me. I spend all of August. If, 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 if. If you will seek me. If you will seek me. I feel, I said to the Holy Spirit, I said, I feel like a broken record. I mean, I, I need to get it myself too. I put myself right in that seat because I'm just preaching the same thing over and over again. And the Holy Spirit keeps saying the same thing again. I need you to seek me. Not because just because of the safety, there's that too. We could spend sermons on getting into the ark because of the deceptions. TJ and I have been talking this week about major Christians, Christian artists that I listened to as a kid that are complete atheists now. I mean, just gone. Christian bands that we almost kind of knew maybe they weren't Christian. They said they were Christian and now they're just complete secular with explicit on their albums. And there's that, they're, just for your safety, there's that, but that's the least of it. I don't want, he doesn't want us to come in to him for our safety. He wants us to come in for the relationship. He is offering us if we will seek him. And David's heart said to the Lord, your face, Lord, will I seek. Let's just stand and pray. Thank you, Lord God. I thank you, Jesus, that you have called us. I thank you, Lord, that you have spoken to us. I thank you, God. Lord, we're responding to you. Lord, this week, Lord, thank you. This week, Lord, help us. Help us, Lord, to respond. Show us, Lord, the times that we're pushing you aside. We don't even know it, Lord. We don't even realize that we're pushing you aside, but you've been seeking for us, Lord. You've been looking for us. And Lord, if we'll listen, if we'll respond, if we'll hear, Lord, your voice, that you're calling. 
I thank you, Lord, and say it back to you. There is a union, a communion, a fellowship, a life, Lord, a place in spirit that we can live, Lord. We don't have to worry in that place. We don't fear in that place. Everything is provided for us in that place, Lord. I thank you. Eternity itself is not withheld from us. Nothing is withheld from us in that place, in you, Lord. Just thank you, Lord. Give you glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.